0: Todd, hi, John. Audience, welcome to John and Todd's Monday Night Light Therapy session, where we're going to give you all the help you need to get through the worst season of Nebraska football season in our school history ever.
1: Well, we don't know that for sure.
0: We don't know well, that. That's for true. Sure. We don't. No. It sure we got a win. Yeah, we did get a win. We got a win. You know we're supposed to start with witty banner, but I think we witty bannered our way out of things before the show started. Waiting for the few minutes for everybody to go get here. Well,
1: you know, here's here's the thing. Uh, it, it is a frustrating season, but right now Nebraska is on top of the Big Ten West. So how's that? <laughs> That I is mean, pretty
0: good. That is yeah, that's you know, going hilarious. Going
1: into this game, two and three, or excuse me, one and three, going into this game, who would have thought that Nebraska would be on top of the Big Ten
0: West <laughs> and Wisconsin would be at the bottom, and well, at the real bottom? Sure. There's a lot going on. Where do you want to start with?
1: Do you want to start
0: with? Did you want to start with uh, how fun the game was?
1: Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about the game. Um, you know, of course, uh, Nebraska was not taking on, you know, one of uh, college football's dynasties. Uh, you know, Indiana people, they, they like to remind you that they play basketball, you know, in Indiana. So they're already apologizing up front, you know, for their football team. And, you know, they say, well, you know, football is just something we, we do until basketball season starts, you know, and that kind of stuff. Um but it was uh, it was a fun game. Uh, I'll get. I'll tell you what. I'm getting old, and these night games. While night games are fun, I sure don't like getting home as late as we get home after those things. You know, <laughs> man. But um, it, as I as I said, you know, when when uh, we were leaving the stadium, and I got on the phone and was talking to people, it sure is fun. You know walking out of a nebraska football game after the teams won even if it wasn't the prettiest of games you know people want to talk about it being an ugly game with all of those penalties and stuff but you know a win is a win and we haven't had many of those in in lincoln nebraska recently and so um yeah it was fun this the you know the i'll tell you what you know you've written a few times uh, and most recently about why it's important for people to continue to go to games and Keep the sellout streak alive and that kind of stuff. You know, I, I don't, you know, the sellout streak, whatever. I don't want to get into that debate. But you know, at, at the kickoff, at the early, you know, when they kicked off the game, the stadium was full. Nebraska fans were into it. Uh, they were loud and and they stayed in the game, uh, even in the fourth quarter. You know, it's been a long time since i've heard the husker power cheer you know trying to motivate the the team you know during one of the timeouts and the go big red cheer you know the people in the stadium stayed active into the game and they were behind the team and and you know it's almost in a way that the the fans didn't want to let the team down we've seen those guys you know uh, you know just fall apart so many times in the last few years um I don't want to say that the fans willed them to win. That's kind of stupid. Um, But the the fans were into the game, and that that made it fun.
0: So I think that was the biggest thing that Greg and I agreed upon and the post-game reaction video was uh, not that the fans uh, stayed in the game, but the Nebraska Cornhusker football team stayed in the game. A very bad thing happened in the end zone with Chuba Purdy, uh coughing up the ball and giving away a free christmas gift touchdown and nebraska didn't fall apart
1: well yeah Yeah. and and i think a lot of people expected it you know i do i you know it was kind of like oh my god here we go again we found another way to really screw up
0: yeah so i guess you know me watching at home there was i think you know what i think i think the refs the, the, I, the most penalties in a game, if I remember correctly, it, as a record, is 36. And that includes all three divisions of football for NCAA football. I think that the refs, know, they recognize that they're starting to call way too many penalties and they start approaching on like being in the top 10 list. So they stopped calling penalties as a game. They, you know, they slowed down on the penalties. But they were a little bit... Uh, I don't know. Flag happy. I felt like. I mean, yeah. I when you looked at when you looked at some of the penalties, you kind of went, "Okay, that's a penalty," but did you really have to call it? I mean, you're gonna call that on every freaking play, you know? Some of the holding stuff, some of the I don't know. Well, the it's intentional
1: what? grounding. A couple of those intentional grounding calls. You know, I mean, there was one where you know uh, Casey Thompson was backpedaling and you know falling down, and he threw it right at the feet of his offensive lineman. Okay. That's intentionally grounding, but there were a couple where you know, yeah, he was throwing the ball away. you uh, just didn't. Get, if those balls would have been thrown out of bounds, <laughs> there would have been no call. But they happened to land inbounds. You know, I, I thought that those were some petty calls. But that that uh, official one, well, he was. Go ahead.
0: One he was throwing to Trey Palmer, and it didn't get there because he got hit exactly. while he was throwing it. I thought that one was a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. So, no, that, Nebraska got us. Nebraska got a special teams time since 2019. And I'll a tell you what, the stadium
1: recovery. exploded on that. The they, stadium absolutely exploded on that. You know, that, that was so cool. And and to see the touchdown scored by that true freshman, that was kind of neat too. You know,
0: Malcolm Hartzog, first start, he gets Big Ten freshman of the week. Yep. And I, yeah, he And was, he was in for Tommy Hill, right?
1: Yeah, he, he started in Tommy Hill's position. You know, hey, I got a question. And, and, you know, again, I'm not at practice every day. God knows that, you know, this is just, you know, an observation from, a, from an old fat guy. Right. Um, you know, we've heard a lot in the last few years when it comes to recruiting, you know, that Nebraska has put an emphasis on recruiting defensive backs that have length. You know, they've talked about length and length, length, length. length. I'll tell you what, we had three of the shortest defensive backs out on the field uh, that I've seen in Nebraska in a long time. Uh, You know, apparently those guys with length, uh, you know, they they have some other attribute that's standing in the way of them being successful, which is too bad uh, because there are times when You know we've got these short look. You know, particularly Marquise uh, Buford and then Malcolm Herzog. Those are the two that are most notable. Um, You know, they they can't go up after the ball with some of those receivers that they're matched up against.
0: Anyway, you know they played well. They they did a nice job. Well, Indiana was missing two of their starting receivers, so I don't know. You know, I guess you just play football, right? You just. It's not like you can make up excuses for that. I mean, Nebraska seems to be missing like an offensive line and mostly a defensive line. So it's not like we go around telling everybody. (laughs) Yeah. I I watched at home. You know, Greg and I watched at home. And uh, I, I still, again, you look at our offensive line and you go, who is teaching anything or who is, you know, who is coaching these guys up at all? I think from my standpoint, they were swapping so many guys into the game it was like mickey joseph was trying to figure out who was going to play for him and who wasn't uh i don't know rearranging the roster on the fly so you know you know here's the thing that stood out to me the other thing besides that they didn't fall apart was uh nebraska kept indiana scoreless the second half yeah and they limited them to 79 yards. And you can you can make up all the excuses about, well, like I said, the two starting receivers are gone. Indiana isn't very good. But, you know, they've been given up – they gave up 800 million yards to Georgia Southern, and they weren't very good. And, well – You know, to hold them to 79 yards has to be some kind of a – at least confidence-building thing for the defense. Well, the,
1: the two things that I noticed the most, and, you know, I'm not – I don't claim to be an X's and O's expert, but here's what I saw compared to the other home games I've been to. Number one, pre-snap, the the defense, they were in their place. You know, they, they were ready to go. They weren't running around with their heads cut off, somebody out of position. They weren't looking over to the sidelines trying That's to figure true. out what the call was. You know, they were set and ready to go. And, you know, Indiana was moving at a pretty good pace. They were, you know, and – they were getting the defensive calls and and we heard all week you know that uh bush had simplified the defense and um you could sure tell at least pre-snap that those guys were in in much better position or much better shape than they were previously um you know so so that's one thing that you know definitely stood out and i forgot what the
0: other one oh, was man <laughs> Uh, all right. You know what? We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, you know, here, Mike Schuster brings up this, this, how about a sideline penalty and no warning? I thought that was, that was, you know what that was? It was kind of foreshadowing for the rest of what was going to happen. Is we're just going to call penalties. I thought that was pretty stupid, too. You know, you have to be a really kind of a, I don't know, I couldn't see an insecure it. ref, for God's yeah. sakes oh, you know, the refs are going down the sidelines and they bump into a coach that's got too far out. And normally they give you a warning first, right?
1: Yeah. And
0: they just threw a 15-yard flag and it's like, well, screw the warnings. And you kind of like, oh, that's how this is going to go, huh? Yeah. No, I couldn't – you know,
1: they said over the PA it was – you know, flag was thrown on sideline interference with a coach. And, you know, I didn't see any of it happen. But I was, I was, I was watching the flow of – of the game, I wasn't paying any attention to the referee running down the
0: sideline. Mike Schuster again says, I have a question, MJ, my, Mickey, Joe. I always think Michael Jordan. I got yeah, to get that. Joseph, <laughs> Mickey Joseph. Mickey Joseph keeps talking about how tough Indiana and Rutgers is. They're nobody thoughts. What are your thoughts? Well, Ty? they're
1: not the elite in the Big Ten, but <laughs> – they're, they're physical football teams, and as is every team in the Big Ten, and you know, it's it's a it's a conference where, you know, the teams are going to line up and they're going to punch you in the mouth each game, and uh, you know, no, they're they're not Michigan, no, they're not Ohio State, but you know, <laughs> we're not Michigan and we're not Ohio State at this point in time, so. Um, yeah, maybe we ought to temper our enthusiasm a little bit. But what the hell? We haven't beaten, you know, uh, 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 one of the five big conference schools. You know, we haven't beaten a, a team like that for a year. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the win and feel good about it.
0: Well, Richard fits us with an answer when he says he talks about how tough they are because you don't want to be like a certain past coach and talk shit to other teams and then get embarrassed, which is a very good answer. And the other answer is I guess I look at that and say, you know, he's saying the things that you're supposed to say as a coach, which since we referenced the other coach that was in the past now, uh, who he didn't do. So I think Mickey Joseph already has a lot of, Oh, you know what? I put it this way. For four years, we watched the guy who was paid millions of dollars stand up in front of people, uh, chew while he was doing it, not shave, never bothered to button his tie, never bo- button his shirt and close up his tie. I mean, if you guys paid me a million dollars a year, you know what I'd do? I'd put on a suit, I'd put on a tie, I'd shave, but well, maybe not this part, and I, I wouldn't chew. I don't chew anyway. But I would do those things because those are the things you're supposed to do. If you paid me $5 million a year, I'd cut my hair. Huh? All <laughs> well, right? Just throwing that out there yeah, in case know. any booster's listening. They got, you know, moolah. I'm not a—I'm not uh, proud. I'd just go <laughs> take it. Um, all right. Yeah, but that's what I think about how you talk about your opponents. You say, yeah, they are a tough team. I mean – part of this well, is it's politicians speak but that's what you do it's
1: what you do and you're not gonna say you're not gonna say at this point or probably ever you're not gonna say well you know what Indiana really you know they weren't that good of a team and and you know if, if we if we hadn't had all those damn penalties we'd have blown their doors off now you, you can't talk like that either um, at this point in time Mickey Joseph he is he is choosing very carefully what he says and i heard the uh, replay of his press conference today and he was very he's very measured in what he says um and you can tell that it, it's it's very intentional uh and in many ways uh it's intentional to be 180 degrees uh from what has what was said by the by the previous head coach.
0: Did you did you watch any other Big Ten games?
1: No, I really didn't. I I was uh I was on the road to get to Lincoln and then as soon as I got to Lincoln uh we headed to the game. Watched a little bit of Iowa State and Kansas. That was that was about all I saw. I, I did see a little bit of Purdue and Minnesota. Um not not a whole lot of that but uh that was pretty pretty much all
0: I got to watch. Well, I have a partial Minnesota household. So uh, the rotten son actually was surprised by his girlfriend and came back from Chicago, surprised him with tickets. So they went to the game to watch Minnesota play really substandard compared to what we thought Minnesota was going to do. And uh, I, I guess I found out his most shocking game of the day because Excuse me again. I thought that Minnesota would come in and just roll over Purdue. and they, P.J. Fleck just makes... he he. I think that he's a good coach. I don't think he's a great coach. I think he's a good coach, but then in that game, he went for it at one point on fourth and two, I think in his own 29. And then he ran... When his offensive line was not doing that well, they didn't play well, and Mo Abraham was out for the game, and you know Trey Potts. I think their backup is a decent running back, but he's not Mo Ibrahim. And they didn't get their fourth and two. They gave Purdue a short field, and I mean that wasn't the game. But it was. I guess it was surprising to see Minnesota's offensive line not just manhandled the opponent. And you know they had times of brilliance, and then they just well they lost. Well, and you then, know uh, who some... else was there.
1: There were some pundits, though you know, before the season started, there were a few people that thought that uh, Purdue, you know, would would win the West, Um, you know, which, you know, here we are, you know, basically two games in, you know, to the to the Big Ten season, and you basically have the West, everybody's one and one except Northwestern's zero and two. Um, nope, Wisconsin, Wisconsin and this, is 0 and Wisconsin, two. Wisconsin. Excuse me. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Northwestern has a win. Um, <laughs> how can we forget that one? Yeah. <laughs> Wisconsin's zero and two. So, you know, it's, it's really kind of a cluster and boy, at this point in time, I, I, I don't know who I, you know, who I think is going to win this doggone thing. Um, it's, it's, uh, who's going to show up each week, you know, to be honest, if I, God, I I can't even believe I'm going to say this. You know, I was hot. I was on Minnesota last week. I thought Minnesota, you know, the, the big 10 was going to the big 10 West was theirs to lose. And well, they lost. Um, yeah. How about Illinois? How about Illinois? You know, Uh I, I mean, I understand that Indiana beat them. Um, but you know, Baylor's got those guys playing pretty hard-nosed physical football, and um, you know they're running the they're running the ball. You know their quarterback. You know he's he's not the greatest, but um, I don't know who who knows. You know why not why not Nebraska? (laughs) we'll see how they how they stand up in the next. Well, that
0: is true. I mean, Um, all you got to do is win each game at a time. Now I watched Iowa Michigan. And, you know, there was supposed to be this, oh, Michigan loses at Iowa, but not with that offense. Well, Man, I, I, I mean, watched some of that
1: game too. I forgot about that. I did watch some of the Michigan-Iowa game. Man. Um, I'll tell you what, you know, I'm reading now, some people seem to think that Ferrance is on the hot seat. You know, Ferrance buyout is like $875 million or something like that. You know, I mean, it's just incredible. And uh, but, you know, <laughs> Iowa isn't going to buy out to get rid of him, no. but um, his his son is, is dragging the program down right now. And, uh, you know, when you look at the fact that they're playing, they still are playing really tough defense and Phil Parker's got to be one of the best defensive coordinators in the conference. They're playing really good on with special teams. Um, you know, I... I I don't know. I don't know what you do with that over there. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to see it, you know, <laughs> let, them let them suffer.
0: <laughs> well, here's the uh, Joe Tilson says, can't believe Wisconsin fired Paul Crist. Uh, what do you think of that, Todd? I can't believe they fired him right now either.
1: I, 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 I can't. Um, you know, Paul Christ has had quite a bit of success uh at wisconsin have they taken a step back from you know uh where they were at yeah i think they have um you know but it's what have you done for me lately i guess um but that one i i kind of thought chris would at least make it through the season and if they went like six and six and you know or maybe seven and five maybe they would uh um uh uh, get rid of him then, but now I see this next one. You know, the buyout. His buyout was actually somewhere closer to twenty million dollars, but they negotiated that down for some reason. And some people are okay. Are,
0: for, okay for for what reason do you think?
1: I I don't know. you yeah. speculate,
0: speculate, Todd, speculate. speculate. Come on, yeah.
1: Jeez, oh, I don't know because why, why would you snow. negotiate
0: a buyout down? Well, because
1: uh, there's there I, well you, <laughs> I would think it's because something something unethical had gone on or something like that. but
0: you know, maybe that's happened. I don't know. Okay, here's what I think. First of all, the Wisconsin people I talked to said basically, Paul Christ was on his way out, and they the guys I talked to today, including the guy that covers Wisconsin, uh, talked to him or chatted with him last night. He said that they were they're surprised that it could happen this quick, but that pretty much everybody expected this to happen. And I think if you the only reason you were shocked by this is it's early or you were never paying attention to Wisconsin football because Wisconsin football has just gone they've gone down. I mean they have. They've not been what they were. And I think with Paul Christ, the recruiting is just sliding down. And uh, you know, maybe this is their Frank Solich moment. Yeah. But uh, here's all I'll speculate as to why he did an $11 million buyout. Because Paul Christ has spent, I think, almost all of his career, a good chunk, at least half of his career at Wisconsin, either as an assistant or doing something else, right? Brilliant. So – just think about this you spent all that time there you've raised your kids there your family's there you look around you and being the stand-up guy you are todd wolverton because i know you do this you're a decent human <laughs> being you look around and you sit and look at your athletic director and you go i'm failing i am failing at this and the program is not getting better under me do you know what if we get if we just stop right now when we say jim letter is going to be in charge you can see what he can do as a head coach for the rest of this season. And by the way, I'll go ahead and we. You know, I don't need $20 million, 11 million I think I could do retirement on eleven million. You know, get well, some, uh, go on cruises. You know, maybe do the hot air balloon rides all day.
1: Maybe something like That's that nice did in fact happen. I I don't know, um, but you know, I I guess to you're right when you talk about their defensive coordinator being there. And, you know, maybe that was just something that, uh, you know, he was the heir apparent and, um, you know, they wanted to make sure they kept him at Wisconsin rather than losing him because, you know, there's other jobs that are open. Uh, his name has been tossed around a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, so maybe that's a way to keep him there.
0: Uh, Linda Wilkins says, "Did not Paul Chris at Wisconsin win ten games last year? I think he was you eight and five Let's last that year. Up. He was nine and four, six and three in the Big Ten okay. West. I they finished third behind Iowa and Wisconsin, or Iowa and Minnesota. Well, tied for Minnesota, but beat him in tiebreakers. Uh, I think the problem is, is what you're seeing is the." the result of a coach who isn't going to fit into the new world that we're going to. That's I think really there's some truth is. to that
1: too. I, I, you know, Paul Chris doesn't seem to be the guy that is um, on the cutting edge of, of the, the corporate world that is college football right now. You know, he's Paul Christ, he he's an X and O guy. He's a, he's a, you know, bacon and eggs guy, lunch pail guy, whatever you want to call him. And uh, he'd probably be a lot happier being a, uh, you know, a coordinator somewhere. And and who knows? But the the fact that um, the fact that they had such a quality candidate behind him. Now that I'm thinking about that a little bit more, might have as much to do with the decision that was made now in order to keep to keep him around now. There's a question out there, you know. Does Wisconsin have their job? Does with Wisconsin's job being open, does that hurt Nebraska? You know, uh, I it, it could, um, but I think Wisconsin might have their guy. Um, it's a little bit different than Mickey Joseph being the interim because Wisconsin's guy, he's been there for you know a few years. I think he didn't they hire him after Aranda left. I think I think so yeah. Um, yeah, so he's he's got a little bit better pulse on what's going on in that program. He isn't just, you know, didn't just show up um, prior to spring practice. You know what?
0: I, I, it it does does Wisconsin have their job open hurt Nebraska? It does if they're both at Le- Leopold I think that we could consider that we're not both after Jim Leonard because Jim Leonard's already made a choice. But Lance Leopold, right, is from the Wisconsin. He would probably look. I mean, I've spent a lot of time working in Wisconsin, Paul. By God, see how bad I'm getting, Todd. Yeah,
1: Yeah.
0: the the the, all the names are coming together in my brain and just doing. I don't know, lotto. But. Uh, working in Wisconsin, I've discovered the Wisconsin level on the planet because every bar is a restaurant, every restaurant's a bar. Everybody's happy all the time.
1: All right, well, River, Lance Leopold, you know he—he's the name that comes up. You know that both schools would be interested in. So,
0: oh, let's see, what do we got next? Okay. He, Rick Marino, that's my biggest problem with college football is this corporate elite crap. I don't want it in football, let alone the world. So if he's a lunch pail guy and they want to fire him, fine, go somewhere else. Huh. I, I, you I, know, I, was, thinking about, I was thinking about how this changed for coaches. And I'll take you through a scenario and you tell me if I'm right. Before I start this, I'd just like to say, you know, over my IT career, I, you know, part of my job was always going into companies and implementing new systems. And I think probably the biggest thing that struck me sometimes is we'd go into a company and we'd implement a new sales system, and we'd be meeting with, like, these guys that are sales reps, and some of them were in their 60s. And I remember one guy just being in a meeting, and he's looking down at this laptop that he's supposed to carry. He's supposed to report every day. He's supposed to do all this stuff. And he, and he looks right up at me and he goes, fuck this shit. I ain't doing it. I'm retiring it. <laughs> he didn't want to learn new stuff. He said, I've learned enough. I've, I enjoy my job. I'm not learning this. And he literally looked at his boss and said, I'm retiring. I'm done. You know, and it was kind of funny. It was kind of striking. I didn't know him that well, but I thought, wow, that's a ballsy move right here in this big meeting. But let me play a scenario for you about how this has changed. Let's say that you're going to meet with one of the top quarterback recruits in the nation, and you're sober enough to get there, and uh, you meet with his family and the quarterback and his father's and mother sit down next to you, and, and the quarterback looks at you and says, well, Texas has promised me $75,000 a year to go there. What are you going to give me? Now, that's the scenario that Maybe that only occurred in the SEC before, or we all pretend it didn't ever happen. But that's a scenario that's going to happen all the time now if you're looking at a four or five starboard quarterback recruit. And that, that how are you going to do that? That's going to require a guy to not only manage his roster, not only manage his, you know, what are we going to run for plays, maybe if he's an offensive guy or being interested in what the defensive coordinator is doing. But he's also got to be aware of what his nil organization can give this guy. And it's like he has – we're in the NFL now, I mean, from that perspective, don't you think? Or am I completely off base on that?
1: Well, I think think that the job of the head coach goes far beyond what happens between the sidelines on on Saturdays. And, you know, you look at a coach like Paul Christ – I think Paul Christ probably uh, would much rather be out on the practice field and he'd rather be down on the field, you know, during game days more so than anything else. And um, what, what I think is guys like that are, are not going to fit into the mold um, of the head coach that you, you know, for the reason you just mentioned they you have to be able to address all of those other things The you know the nil and the recruiting and if paul chris recruiting you know you know we know that that's fallen off um everybody thought that they had a top recruit with graham mertz and he hasn't panned out you know like a lot of folks thought he would um but it's 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 a different day and you know i tell you what i and this is a conversation for another day i've i've been opposed to the to the businessification of college football for the last you know 25 30 years it just it disgusts me but it's a reality and um you know you're still going to cheer for your team on saturday it just you you see guys like this that um Paul Chris, you know, if he wants to keep coaching, they'll find a spot for him in the NFL. You know, he'll he'll coach in the NFL somewhere and be happy.
0: Does it disgust you because you're a commie?
1: (laughs) I've been accused
0: I've been accused of that. Yeah. I've been accused of that. Mark Weiss. Hi, Mark. Glad you could join us. Speaking about corporate football, how will Nebraska be able to compete with bigger market schools in the future? USF has a bigger market than the state of Nebraska as a whole. I think you just hit on that. You know, part of the conversation, I I said this on Twitter Saturday during the games, and I said, uh, you know, before the season's over, you're going to see Paul Crist, Jeff Braum, and – Tom Allen joined Scott Frost on the unemployment line. I think Jeff Brom joined, uh, you know, saved his job beating Minnesota, honestly. But, you know, Paul Christ is already gone, and I'm guessing Tom Allen, I don't know, that depends on how willing uh, Indiana is, is to upgrade their program because he is not doing well there. Maybe maybe they'll look at him and go, okay, you had a lot of injuries, and you're going to be fine. But I asked the Wisconsin guy, and I asked the question on Twitter, and I didn't get any answers, but I asked the Wisconsin guy about this. When you look at the Big Ten West, uh, how many other schools are going to have $10 million per year to put toward nil besides Nebraska?
1: There's not going to be.
0: What what makes Nebraska
1: different, and, you know, this kind of – I'm going to – look at Mark's question here maybe from a little bit different perspective here you know I think Nebraska is determined that they're going to be a player and you know however and and you and I talked about this a little over a month ago probably where you know with the way things are going with conferences we talked about it on the heels of USC and UCLA announcing that they were coming to the to the Big Ten and you know where is it all headed And there have been people out there that have said, you know, at some point in time, there's going to come down to the 32 team or, you know, pick a number, 32, whatever, team super conference and, um, you know, kind of like the NFL minor leagues or whatever it might be. And if if that happens, I, I think I posed the question to you, will Nebraska be one of the 32 left standing? And you were very confident that they would be now mark yeah. makes a really good point you know nebraska's market isn't nearly what it is in other parts of the country but there are very few other parts of the country whereas many people would contribute and support as there are in nebraska you know while it might not be you know your huge benefactors um i think that there is support that uh, nebraskans and nebraska alums and nebraska supporters will do whatever is necessary you know to keep them um in that elite level the nebraska brand is it still has value and it will increase if we bring a coach in here that can turn this program around and start winning football games again um but you know our our nebraskans nebraskans the university of nebraska when it when it all shakes out, are they you know are they going to make that kind of commitment to be one of the last thirty two standings, so to speak? Don't know when that's going to happen,
0: um, but I guess that's kind of the way that I look at it. Oh, I had thoughts, and they all just swirling around in my head. <laughs> you know, he, the Wisconsin guy. I asked him, "Do you think Wisconsin was, is going to come up with boosters?" who will give $10 million a year for Neil. And he said, they have the boost. It's whether or not they'd be willing to do it. And I thought, you know, that really comes into account. I think Nebraska has people that have a lot of money that are willing to give it to the Nil organization and contribute to the football team. But at the same time, I mean, I'm a millionaire, right? Let's pretend, Todd, just for a moment, uh, I started PayPal <laughs> you know if i had millions of dollars and i was going to give it to an organization i'd be looking at him going well is the guy going to embarrass me by let's say not being too drunk to, to show up for a top recruits house for a recruiting visit is that going to come out later and embarrass me for contributing money to his basically campaign because i don't want that i want a stand-up guy who's going to be a good guy and they should be able to find that background checks Number two, is it a guy I feel good about? If I'm going to give him $10 million a year, my God, if I'm going to give him $1,000 a year, Todd, I'd still, I'm going to look at it and go, I'm not just going to throw this money at you, you sons of bitches. i got to feel good about this. So I, that, again, is, it goes back to the name that we haven't mentioned yet for head coach, let's say. Uh, maybe he's not a good fit for Nebraska. Or maybe this guy isn't a good fit in Nebraska, and I don't know what a good fit is. But I, I did want to bring up something with you, Todd, that is close, uh, close to your heart. And there's this, con- there's this constant rumbling uh, that I see out there. You know, people post on Facebook. People post on Twitter. Uh, this, all this self-loathing stuff about why would anybody take this job with the way our fans act? Why would anybody want to live in this fishbowl? Tom Chattel, for God's sakes, wrote about Nebraska's next coach having to live in a fishbowl. And my response, my thought with him was, "You didn't bother asking the previous guy a single fucking hard question in four years. What fishbowl did he live in in your eyes? Good God. But There's this, always this thing about people never wanting to take a high-stress job or a high-profile job where they might get picked on in public. You were a high school principal, right? For how many years? 23. 23 years of being a high school principal. And I'm the one with the mushy brain. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, in the town you were in, you, you were a target for everyone. If a, t- parent, if a kid did something that, you, that caused problems, you had to deal with it. If a parent had problems, you had to deal with them. Teachers, school board, all that kind of shit. Uh, Why would anybody take that job in the first place?
1: Well, you know, there are different motivations to take, you know, each job. And, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier, fit. And, you know, there have been a number of good coaches, and I mentioned one last week, and I'll come back to him. You know, coaches who have had some success and then they go on to the next job, which is a bigger job, more attention, you know, more stress, more whatever it is, and they fail. You know, the, one, the example I used last week was Rich Rodriguez. You know, I mean, he was running an innovative offense out at of West Virginia. They hired him at Michigan. He fell flat on his face. Okay, Tom Herman. He was doing all sorts of wild stuff down at Houston, I believe, and then they hired him at Texas, and he fell flat on his face and all of the critics you know pointed to this flaw or you know this shortcoming or the fact that when he was at houston he didn't have to deal with x or when he was at west virginia he didn't have to worry about y whatever it might be every job has different quirks with it and you know the reality is i don't care you know, where you're at, if you're going to be in uh, a power five conference football school, you're going to have a lot of attention placed upon you. And um, that fishbowl is a little bit different maybe from one school to the next, but you're going to have to deal with stress. And yeah, as a a high school principal, you know, and I was a high school principal in three different towns. And I would, I would say to you that in each of those three towns, you know, I didn't get run out of, of any of them. But I certainly wasn't as popular when I ended my career in each one of those towns as I was earlier in my career. And, <laughs> you know, the, the reality of it is, is that In my case, and and this parallels with football coaches, in each one of those school districts where I became a principal, I was hired to fix something. I was hired to come in and change directions for a particular school. And in every one of those instances, the people that hired me articulated exactly what it was that they wanted me to do. And some of those times, you're gonna step on some people's feet and you're always, you're never going to make everyone happy. Um, Tom Osborne, when he was coaching, he didn't make everyone happy. Nick Saban down at Alabama, there are people in Alabama that are Alabama fans that are critics of Nick Saban. You, do, you never, in that kind of a situation, have 100% of the fan base or 100% of the supporters in your corner. Now, at Nebraska say they hire Matt Campbell say they hire Lance Leopold say they hire um, maybe Dave Aranda say they hire one of those kinds of people yes they're going to be faced with a lot more media attention they're going to have a lot more microphones stuck in their face they're going to find themselves on more live streams they're going to find their themselves in on more television stations and The people in Nebraska are very invested. I mean, for goodness sakes, we have people listening to two old farts wearing red shirts on a Monday night, for God's sakes. They're following a two and three football team. You know, we had 86,000 people walk into the stadium Saturday night to watch a one and three football team coming off of a four win season. It's different. But it's an attractive job because coaches can get what they want. They can get what they need. And when they win, they're going to be almost mythic figures. So what kind of guy is going to look for a job like this? Some guy that's got a bit of an ego. You're going to have to to be (laughs) a head coach at the Power Five Conference. You have to. And to be honest with you, As a high school principal, I had a bit of an ego myself. You know, I knew I could go in and fix those things. But what Nebraska needs to hire is a builder, somebody that can build, somebody who has a structure in the way that the program grows from the ground up. Now, people, I'm not talking about something that takes a long time. I'm talking about stability from the bottom up. Not somebody who's just gonna chase headlines and you know and and
0: spews out sound bites. That's the kind of guy they're gonna need. So Jay Keach says, how much do you think Nebraska has thrown away in the last 20 years? I think it's around 50 million. Goes to your point. Nobody good is going to come want to coach here anymore unless it's about the money. I don't think that's entirely correct. Put it this way. My career has been different than Todd's. I've been in IT and I brought this up many times how one of my favorite things in my career was to go into disaster situations, literally situations where everything was blown to shreds and just destroyed. And I did actually work at a lot of K through 12 schools across the nation, putting in porn filters, not even a joke. At one point, I put porn filters all over the place. But... I think that, that Jay Keach for the for the comment. And I do think it's about also not just money, but it's about opportunity and Nebraska present that. But when I, he Todd brought up being a savior, and I'll tell you that's the one thing, I I have no problem admitting this with it when I went into companies and I fixed their problems. Uh, well, I I'll bring up a one summer. I spent at a school district in southeast Minnesota, and I won't bring up the name. But throughout that summer, I would go around to their buildings. I tore their entire school district's network apart and rebuilt it in one summer. And I was told by many people I'd go out to eat, and people would walk up to me, and a teacher would walk up to me and say, you're the most hated person in the school district. You don't even live here. And I did all that, and I ran over everybody. I did run over everybody because I knew what they'd have to be better after I was done. I didn't really end up a savior there because they still blame me for shit. But, you know, normally when you go into those problems and then suddenly you're the savior, and in my case, you know what it meant? It meant that I could bill them whatever I wanted to within budgetary means from then on. By God, that's how you You save them themselves, and then they'll pay you for it. So, yeah, sometimes it is about the money, and sometimes people are going to look at this and go, I want this high-stress job, I want this high-profile job, because my ego demands it. And, uh, you know, if I, it, here's the thing about ego. If you don't have an ego, you're going to be destroyed. So this whole thing about people hating people with big egos, by God, I have a big ego sometimes. Well, my family would say a lot, but if you don't have that to protect your, your the rest of your psyche from being annihilated. You will be crushed. You will be run over well, and worn out like Bo Pelini was in Nebraska.
1: John, you know here's here's the way that I, you got to look at it too. And and you know when we were little kids, well at least when I was a little kid, you know when when we were playing baseball in the backyard, I wasn't dreaming and pretending that I hit a home run uh, in a, in a ball game. July second in Metropolitan stadium. Hell no. You dream about hitting home run to win the World Series. You know, you're playing football in the backyard. You dream about throwing that winning touchdown or catching that winning touchdown or kicking that field goal to win the Super Bowl. You know, coaches are the same way. When coaches enter into that profession and when they at one point, you know, come to the realization that they want to be a head coach and challenge themselves at the highest level, Nebraska is at the highest level. They are a Power Five conference school that has invested in the sport, and they're going to continue to invest in the sport. You know, not every Power Five conference school has made the same commitment to the sport that the University of Nebraska has. You can't tell me that if Nick Saban just all of a sudden dropped dead on the sideline on Saturday, and whoever the you know, Bill O'Brien is the interim to finish off the year. You can't tell me there won't be candidates to the Alabama football job. What? Oh, I, that's too big for me. I'm not going go to go Alabama. The only direction I can go from Alabama is down. No, coaches are competitive right. people. They're competitive people. And, you know, I, I those guys exist out there now you know many of them will find a way if they don't like being in front of you know the camera all the time or if they don't like having to shake all the hands and kiss ass on boosters they find ways to navigate that they find ways to work with that so yeah i i just don't buy it
0: when i brought this topic up to you i think it was yesterday or last night uh, you said this will be a good chance to talk about FIT. Yeah. So you said you were at three different schools, and I I certainly as a consultant have worked for companies from a single person to, you know, Zurich Insurance, companies like that that are giant multinationals. What do you tell us about FIT, Todd? Well,
1: Okay, and then you so, can you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go.
1: You know, one of the things that I knew I, when I got into the teaching profession and um, I was always very observant and I always paid attention to, you know, what was happening in schools and what was going on in other schools. I always asked a lot of questions because, you know, you only have firsthand experience from your firsthand experiences. I mean, you know, I, I, I taught true. at Galva Holstein High School. I couldn't tell you what life was like in Lincoln East as uh, a high school teacher or Omaha Benson because I didn't live those experiences. So for me, uh, you know, what I tried to do is I tried to learn as much about those, you know, the differences between schools. So I had an idea uh, once I wanted to become an administrator of what I what I could and what I couldn't do. And when you talk about FIT, You know, I knew that I had, uh, you know, I basically had a cap. I had a level because of my style. And I'm kind of a control freak. Well, you know, not kind of. I am. I'm a control freak. (laughs) And I knew, I knew that I was not going to be able to be a principal in large metropolitan schools. It's a whole different type of a thing. I also knew that I did not want to have to worry about managing money. That's not my thing. Now, that's one of the reasons why I never became a superintendent. I, I, that stuff, I, I, I hate that crap. And that's another reason why I knew that I would never be a principal in a large metropolitan school because principals there are basically little mini superintendents. And so, you know, you, you kind of identify with where are your strengths and where are you going to be. And, you know, there's a reason why there are head football coaches that work at the same school for 35 years in Division three. They understand where they fit, you know. It works for them there, and there is um, <laughs> there's people out there that recognize that they have, you know, what it takes to be successful at um, at Nebraska. And you know, when you throw around a lot of the names out there, Nebraskans want they want guys that are similar to. You know, that have the values and the work ethic and the outlook on life that's similar to people in the state of Nebraska. And those are the kind of guys that will fit into this job. Um, Lane Kiffen's not going to fit into this job. It's not a good fit no. for Lane Kiffen. Lane Kiffen, you know, he was in the right spot out at Southern Cal. I mean, that's that's and, and in the SEC. I mean, that's a, you know, Steve Spurrier. He wouldn't fit at Nebraska. No. You know, so you got to look at what kind of character and, you know, what kind of uh, ethic, work ethic do people have. Um, What are their interests? Those are the kind of people you need to
0: have uh, in the head coaching position at the University of Nebraska. See, I think all of this comes into play where, like, a coach like, uh, Urban Meyer is not a good fit because he would have to work hand-in-hand in, hand in communication with, like, a nil Collective that is going to promise a quarterback stuff. And the game has completely changed the last time he was uh, a head coach. Linda Wilkins says, You will need to be able to talk to manage the Gen Zers. If not, they will call the mommy on you. Linda.
1: <laughs> Linda, Linda, Linda. You're just... <laughs> in the eyes of every generation the younger generations are a piece of shit i'll tell you what, what? the G- the gen zers are the ones that are going to save this world you watch well huh. we'll be all dead and gone by the
0: time that it happens but you know what i th- who are th- you know what i think the gen zers are Tell me. I I don't know. I just everybody younger than me is a millennial. I I can't figure out what all these freaking generations are. I have heard talk to people who you know, uh, since I work at, you know consulting thing, business owners who the whole generational thing is is way different for them than it used to be. And here you know what yeah. Linda gives us an opportunity for this. The other thing that has not changed. The other thing that's changed also about looking for a new coach and coaching right now and and changing what you're doing is that these players have power now. Yes, they do. They can can play in four games and decide if they're not going to fit on the team, they can just sit out the rest of the season and preserve their red shirt. They used to be – the NCAA has stopped them from entering the transfer portal in season – but they can still use the transfer portal to move around quickly. So, you know, it is it is a much more difficult uh, – it requires more flexibility to manage these guys now, I think, than it ever has. And uh, I guess when I look at flexibility, one name that does not come to mind is Kirk Ferentz, which is why I just look at Iowa and I kind of go, of all the Big Ten teams, all the Big Ten West teams I feel the worst for, it's Iowa. And I I don't want to say that publicly and you you can't keep me to You're it. You just did. But dead. imagine imagine all those being there for twenty three years, and this is what you have for an offense, and this is you you have for an offensive coordinator, and nobody's gonna make you change anything to change that. There's gonna be no downward pressure from your athletic department. It's just a nightmare there. And I you know, I guess I it's their nightmare, thank God. Okay, here's one. Chris Crawford says, I get drunk and black out under stress. I could be the next Scott Frost. Well, Chris, if you're going to be the next Scott Frost, go fucking do it somewhere else, because we've done another shit for one (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) go-round. Okay. (laughs) MK wants to ask you what they're going to save us from. Don't go there, because we're almost done. <laughs> uh, well uh, Lane what else what else do we have? Do we well, have anything else do you guys have a, anything else for comments?
1: Joel Joel Tilson says boosters must be going crazy in Iowa. They are and they have been for, for ten years. Um they you know they keep going to the ball games because their team wins. But um you know there is not gonna be uh, you know, uh, uh, there will not be many tears shed when Captain Kirk, you know, rides off into the sunset. Uh, you know, he's, he's been a very successful coach at that school, and he's won a lot of games. But uh, there, there aren't that many people that are going to be sad to see him leave. Uh, they've wanted him gone for some time. Actually, at, at the University of Iowa, the bigger frustration among boosters is Gary Barda, the AD. Uh, Gary Barda yeah. has has uh, there have been the University of Iowa has paid out millions and millions of dollars uh, because of his mishandling of a lot of different situations that have taken place at the University
0: of Iowa. So, well, we're coming up on fifty-seven minutes. Yeah, so are we done? Or are we? We kind of we we can probably just be done. My brain's brain swimming around in a fishbowl is what's going on. Well, uh.
1: we got three minutes.
0: Um, uh, Rutgers. We got Rutgers. Yeah, we got
1: Rutgers. That's where I was headed, and you know, okay, I I made a cut. I, I sh- shot my mouth off, and so I'm going to have to stand behind it. I ran my mouth a few years ago when the Big Ten sold their soul to television to play football games on Friday night. Now, you know, obviously, I just shared a little bit ago for 23 years, I was uh, a high school principal. For the last 11 of them, I was also an activities director. I, you know, lived and breathed high school athletics. And when you start putting Friday night football games in Iowa City or when you start putting Friday night football games in Lincoln, Nebraska, you're running in direct competition with high school sports that need their money a hell of a lot worse than Nebraska or the University of Iowa needs of their money or the University of Illinois or wherever it is. And it really pissed me off when the Big Ten made that decision. And I said, I will not watch the University of Nebraska play a football game on a Friday night when there's a high school game going on. So this Friday night, I will be at a high school football stadium Watching a high school football team play, I will give them my five, six, seven, eight dollars and watch them. And then somebody can text me and let me know how Nebraska does playing their goddamn Friday night football game.
0: (laughs) Wow! Holy cow! night, Todd's night for college Friday night football. I'm gonna go with. Are you gonna predict? You gonna give them a prediction?
1: No, because I'm not gonna watch.
0: <laughs> I'm going to go with the 35 to 24, Nebraska, just because. Uh, I'm, come on, who did Rikers just play? Ohio State. Oh, that's right. They had the fake field What's goal, fake and Ryan. Davis- my Davis- prediction Greg is, my Shion- prediction is, is that, that Mickey punt. Joseph,
1: Mickey Joseph, and Greg Siano. I'm picking Shiano in round three. I tell you what, Joseph has got the speed. He's got the youth, but Siano. He is one tough mother. So my prediction is Shiano in three.
0: I guess I, I thought Rutgers would be a little bit more physical than <laughs> they are. And uh, I, I do think, I don't know. I think if we can just figure out a little bit more about our offensive line each week, if we can just figure out a, just a guy who can be in uh, plays at <laughs> right tackle and, and you know play <laughs> actually block somebody. At that side of the line, that maybe we can have a chance of scoring 35 points for the offense, and maybe the defense will get seven again, and things will, uh, you know, things will be be uh, be cool. Uh, I'm gonna I'll take two more things. Slipperier says, "Where's Ramir and Gar- Garcia Castaneda? Ramirez, we're not sure of Garcia mm-hmm. Castaneda was injured, or he was out of the game because of an injury Friday night." And then I, I'll answer this. Owen Walker says, on a serious note, how are you feeling, for John? Uh, I felt for you, I'm assuming on last Thursday. Uh, you know, I, I just take life every day at a time. You know, the headaches seem to be they seem to be better overall than they've been for a while because of a new drug that I'm taking. Um, they still come back like last Thursday morning, just beat the shit out of me for no apparent reason. I, so sometimes it's it's kind of like this, it, although it's been it's been n- less nasty. Uh, the other r- e- issue I have is balance, and I'm just working on that. I don't I don't understand why my balance is so screwy, but I'm working on that. I guess overall I feel better, but uh, you know again it's one day at a time. Just like we should be living this Nebraska season. Don't project don't look ahead and go oh, we're gonna get a whole bowl game because we're gonna win these get just take it one day at a time one game at a time and we'll just see what Mickey Joseph can do for this team to bring their bring their brains around and bring their attitudes around and somehow uh, stop bringing people around our right tackle you know or something anyway um, okay I think we're done Todd.
1: I think we're done. Good night, John.
0: Good night, Todd.